Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day Nina, how are you? Good, thanks Andrew, how are you? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm better than BHP. Yeah. I the big Australians become the small Australian overnight. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's funny because they are the one. They didn't bring the original case. So let's, let's stop it. Let's yeah, explain what this case. This is a case about BHP directing people to work through public holidays. Well, it was through their labour hire like internal provider thing. So they brought on a path of that and it had gone all the way up through the full federal court who agreed with the CMFEU that you aren't able to unreasonably direct people to work over public holidays. They direct about 80-something workers to work over the Christmas holidays. And so BHP brought an application for special leave to the High Court and they knocked it right back. They did. And when you lose the CFMEU, you're a big-time loser. And really, <laughs> really, the case came out and said, look, you can make reasonable directions and people can make reasonable refusals. Yeah. That's it, isn't and it? And it's settled law now, so it is a good reminder as we head into the Christmas period. But, yeah, you may want people to work over Christmas, get in early, consult with them. Yeah. But if they give you re- good reasons why not, you actually can't direct them. Mm-hmm. That's the law. You can go all the way to the High Court to find the <laughs> obvious. And well done for the lawyers who charge them. You're the only ones who went out of that. Oh, my gosh. Like, when, when you lose to the CFMEU before Christmas. Yeah, you're in, not de- a great you're in deep <laughs> shit, aren't you? No one's going to take you seriously for a long time afterwards. All right. And the dumb cases just keep rolling, don't they, today, don't yeah. they? This is, this is an extraordinary case of sediment. When you hear the facts, I can't believe that this was a case. So this was a worker who was had a job where she would be offshore on a ship in WA, North WA, I believe it was, and she disclosed that she was pregnant and provided medical evidence from her doctor that she would have to get a safe job because the position she was in meant that she'd be exposed to numerous chemicals which could affect her health. Now, I want to stop just there. At this stage, as an employer, <laughs> as a human being, yeah. let's not stop the employer. Just, take as, a as, a, down, just yeah. as a human being at this stage, you go, yeah, that's a good idea. But no, <laughs> no, they relied on some past medical evidence, nothing to do with the pregnancy, yeah. and said she had to stay there and wouldn't provide her a safe job. Yeah, and then when she refused to work, they wouldn't pay for her safe job leave either. And then continued, like she went on the maternity leave, came back, and then they refused to pay her long service leave, all these different things, and she brought a constructive dismissal claim, which clearly reasonable because of all that they did. The Fair Work Act doesn't have Division 12 for stupid people, does it? Which says it should. It should <laughs> because this is a stupid people case, isn't it? And they should be fined millions of dollars for being this oh, dumb. God. Anyway, well, we, we put this in because I was what, railing about it. Yeah. Really. Well, you, we don't know yet what will happen because basically the Fair Work Commission said, yep, she's got a case and she now can bring a um, general protections case as well. So they might get punished. It, uh, it'll, it'll settle. <laughs> but let's, let's hope the lawyers there are a bit smarter than in BHP. And, BHP and go, yeah. mm, I don't think this is a good case to lose. <laughs> Probably on a bit of a sadder note, the Hillcrest tragedy, the Tasmanian case, the jumping castle where a number of kids were killed, is now in the form of a prosecution, and it's Section 32 prosecution, so fines of up to 1.5 million. Interesting, Tasmania is a um, benign jurisdiction as far as safety goes. Very few prosecutions arise. Mm. Partly that's because it's the size of two Ballarats 
and say there's not a lot happening. But I think they're very thorough in their investigation before they bring charges. Yeah, well. but they are interesting. We've, we've dealt with WorkSafe in Tasmania. They're prudent, they're careful, and they're also aware of the impact on industry. So it's quite a, a generous jurisdiction. I think for when we look at Dreamworld and the other cases that have come out, we see how the mainlanders, Tasmanian call us, actually deal with these issues. But we are going to see an increase in the types of litigation where public are exposed to risk. And I think anybody who has the type of industry that exposes public to risk, whether it's public events, whatever they're doing, can you please take note of these cases? Because what it is showing is WorkSafe are saying if you carry on an event that impacts, invites or could hurt people who are external to your business, we're actually going to look at that quite seriously. So Dreamworld is a is the more shocking example of it. Only a couple of deaths there. Mm. Here we've got six deaths of young kids, a lower level prosecution than end up with Dreamworld. I haven't seen the outcome of the coronial inquiry. I'm not sure whether there has been one, but that's something I um, want to follow up on. Did you I know? I think they they blocked the state coroner from accessing the information, is what I read, because of the pending WHS prosecution. Okay, so the coronial inquiry will follow. And that, that, that often can be quite dramatic because that allows the police bring proceedings as well. So mm. if there's criminal negligence, we might see something there. All right, just putting it out there because I think that for us, once again, we're coming into the silly season where people have shows, where people put on events for people. I want you to be aware what we're talking about the silly season, which is the party, party, party theme that we're having is you put on that, <laughs> if you put on those types of events, understand you're going to have a liability. Yeah. Okay, so let's use an obvious example. We've got a Christmas party where a waitress gets sexually assaulted by one of your staff. You're in deep trouble. And, we, we you know, the appellant responded to the case that talks about out-of-hours conduct part of later on. But what I want you to understand is the impact of what you do to people who are external and this happens all the time during the Christmas period. For large businesses, they're inclined to put on playtimes for kids of, of staff, all sorts of things that are done. Don't stop doing them, but understand that the regulator is watching. And if you hurt or harm someone, then you may well be prosecuted. So that's really why we've talked about that. Yeah, and it's relevant to our main topic later. Sard's case. Yeah, this one was also just such a messy case. And I don't know why they brought it all away either. But it was is a this casual division employee. 12 again, is yeah, it? Yeah, I think it is. It's a casual employee who went on leave and I think had disagreements about shifts. There was exchange of several inappropriate messages because the employer said that there'd been complaints made by their behaviour and and refused to identify yeah. what it was. And the employee just blew up about that and said, you know, who it is, and then started making inappropriate comments back. And these words, are words, there. words we can't use yeah. live, can we? Yeah. No, no, but no. really bad words. Yeah, like the C word. <laughs> um, and this was all done at the work Facebook group. So it was all in the, and basically the employer said, no, nah, that's it. He said bye in the message chain, and the employee said that was a dismissal. They found that wasn't dismissal in the end. It was a follow-up phone call where they said, don't come to work anymore. Yeah. But it didn't matter. There was small business and they said that even though there was a lack of complete procedural fairness in this case, the fact that the employee had said all of those inappropriate messages for no reasonable basis, there's no justification for it, that was enough to be a valid dismissal. Yeah. Interesting case because the small business code doesn't translate to business over 15 people. But it does go to the moral place which we as, in, <laughs> which we as people live 
which is if I'm going to say to Nina, we're unhappy with your work, I'd want to tell her what it was. Yeah. Why, why do I do that? Well, I either want her to improve or I want to hurt her. Now, they're the choices, aren't they? I want to hurt her. I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to hurt you. But I want you to be better. I want you to grow. I've got to say what it is and what good looks like mm. and say here's the gap. And yet time and time again, because people are so averse to conflict, what they do is they talk about the high-level complaint, but they're too scared to identify. Why? Because they don't want to engage in conflict. Yeah. But in doing it, they harm the person. Or they'll drop little crumbs. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense because um, they've not given the wider picture. Yeah, okay. So interesting case. Not a big case, but again, on our Division 12 category yeah, of today. Yeah, should write submissions <laughs> to the government. <laughs> well, let's go to Gregory's case. Okay, this is a flexible work case. Oh, this from yeah. the employee is probably the dumbest flexible work case. This is a person who was required to work at least 40% of work. Yeah, because during COVID, they'd done their work wholly remotely, but now it was transitioned back to the Yeah, point, so, and yeah. so he said, look, I want to work wholly from home because I suffer from irritable bowel syndrome, and I did after reading this case too, <laughs> and, and, and I've got custody of my child once yeah. a fortnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there medical evidence which showed it had no impact on his capacity to work. It said nothing other than he suffered from irritable bowel syndrome, probably something we all needed to know. But what the commission said at the end of the day is none of this is particularly relevant to your request for flexible work or for working from home. The reason we're doing it is I just love I love the case. That's the reason we're doing it because it's only our Division 12 risk day. But partly because people keep forgetting they have a presumption they're entitled. You can request flexible work, mm. but it must be on a reasonable basis. So must the rejection. Yeah. And at this case, they didn't have to worry about a reasonable rejection because the request was not reasonable. Yeah, it would have been different if he'd had his child for like a longer period of time. Like the court made it very clear that that is a reason to make the request. But once a fortnight does not justify 100% working from home. Like it makes no sense. And the employer had actually come back with an offer. Which was generous. Yeah, which matched up to his custody schedule. So there was no reason why. No, but that, that, in the background there was that dark irritable bowel syndrome sneaking in from behind. Sorry, that's a pun, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Division 12. Okay, let's go to the next one. Well, <laughs> it just keeps happening, doesn't it? This is just this is another case which, what can I say to you about it? This is the workers' comp case. Yep. Yeah, so I think they had directed him to come back to work during COVID, I think, but yes. he refused to wear a smart band at work, which would have helped him engage in social distancing with everyone else. And then they said that your claim... Everything that they'd done was reasonable, so he couldn't make a workers' comp claim because it was reasonable management action. I want to come to the heart of why, why we put this case. It's a weird case. So the, the decision in the end of it on the issue that mattered to Kim and I really didn't form part of it, and that is Australian Post didn't assist this guy in putting in the claim correctly. Yeah, so his and, and claim that, was rejected because he didn't provide a medical certificate. Yeah. yeah. And we constantly see people using the no-claim period in Victoria and other things as methods of trying to avoid claims going in. So, you know, if Nina has a sore knee, I'll go, I oh, will pay for the physiotherapy for it because yeah, I want a claim so coming dodgy. in. And what I want is this case, you know, the AET were, were brutal in their criticism of Australia Post. The issue here, it's not great law, but it shows how critical courts and tribunals are of people trying to stick very sneakily to the law to avoid someone putting in a claim. Remember, if it's a minor claim, it has no impact on premium. It's also unlawful to prevent someone. Oh, to hinder it is. But the answer is 
don't do this sort of stuff. You've got to return to work person. You're obliged to put signs on the wall that say how to do it. Just remember your obligation as an employer on the Division 12 theory of being a good person is if Nina comes in with a sore knee, I try and help her, which includes if it happened at work, and she says it does, not trying to say it didn't happen at work because I've got her offside saying, good, well, put it in, let's get a treat. If I got it fixed within 10 days, it's a simple claim. It has no impact on premium. I don't pay for anything. Mm. Why would I do that? But instead of that, this idea of stealth and sneaky stuff, and what it means is every time you turn up before that tribunal, you're not trusted. And remember, workers' comp tribunal is, is, is not real law. It's how it feels on the day, the way it's constantly treated. Don't turn up as a disingenuous person. Hope you get a good run with it. So please, when people come in with injuries, don't try and be sneaky. Help them with the claim form. Tell them they need this to tell them what to do because if we resolve it quickly, it doesn't cost us anything and has no impact on premium. If it's going to take longer than that, okay, they put their claim in late, we're in real trouble, okay, and the claim will still be accepted and it hits premium later in a much worse way. So done. Anyway, that's the reason. But we come to our case de la case of the day. Party, 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 all right? You know, party, party, party. <laughs> Amy's case, delivery driver, okay, not getting on terribly well with his manager. His manager sends over 200 spam messages yeah. late at night, really rude messages, dumb messages. Give the context, Andrew. He's sending this to this guy after he's been injured as a delivery driver and filed a workers' complaint. So he's off. Yep. He's off recovering from his injury and his manager is subjecting him to 200 incessant harassing messages of various kinds, including some that are inappropriately referencing self-harm and things like that. And clearly the manager doesn't believe the claim. I think I think we can assume that yeah. that's the correct way. So whatever reason he had, and nobody's going to try and guess that. I've got a few guesses, but I'm not going to issue them on live to air. He keeps sending these crazy messages and memes and things on it, which are offensive and foolish, destructive. Question here is, Amy says, well, I've been constructively dismissed. So the issue is, well, did the manager have the power to dismiss him? Was he, did he have the authority? And it would not surprise you at all to learn the Fair Work Commissioner reached beyond the obvious to say, well, he clearly had ostensible authority. He spoke for and represented the business. And by doing this, he showed that there was no belief in his capacity to work and no belief in his continuation of employment, therefore they accepted constructive dismissal. All right. Now, why are we telling you about this case? The law is not magic in this case. Why are we telling you about this case? I guess is because this is the classic Rosen-Telstra issue. You don't normally see it in this way because it's, no, the, it's the manager's behaviour who could be dismissed in this case. Yeah, it's usually the opposite. Yeah, and we're talking about the constructive dismissal of the person who's the subject of it. But Rosen-Telstra is a really simple case. And Rosen-Telstra has three, and I'm going to read them because I always mix them up. The conduct must be such that viewed objectively it is likely to cause serious damage to the relationship between the employer and the employee. This is out-of-work behaviour when you can discipline someone. The conduct damages the employer's interests or the conduct is incompatible with the employee's duty as an employer. So what I want to take you to, though, is Hunt's case, which I think is probably the best best one that illustrates all three. So Hunt was a case of an employee at an Aboriginal cooperative whose job it was to educate young men around the misuse oh, yeah. of alcohol and violence towards women. 
And on one Friday night, he drank too much, came out, beat his girlfriend up or wife up and was locked up and they terminated his employment. So let's go back to those tests. Now, the cooperative said you sacked and they said, yes, it was out of work. But viewed objectively, is it likely to cause serious damage to the relationship between the employer and the employee? Absolutely. A person sees with such a delicate thing that goes to the heart of the organisation and to the the criticisms of Indigenous people in the community, yes, it does. So there's one breach. That's enough. Okay. The conduct damages the employer's interest. Yes, it does. It subjects to public disdain and reputational damage. And probably has weakened their confidence in that particular program that he was running. Which is a critical program. That's right. And the conduct is incompatible with the employee's duty as an employee. He can't come back and educate people when he's just gone and done it. So what we want to talk about today is it is Christmas. It's coming. Mm. Lots of things are coming, but Christmas is definitely coming. And what we know is from lawyers, we see incredibly bad behaviour yeah, in the it's last the silly two, season for a reason. Yeah, for some, and when we come back in January, we're greeted by the disciplinary actions that are going to be taken. Now, that keeps me in, in gainful employment over January, and I, you know, I applaud that. But what I want people to understand is that 25 years ago when people behaved badly there was, and it was a you, he said, you said, that's what it was, whereas now we have mobile phones with people taping, filming, when we're presented with these cases now, we're commonly presented with a small video of some behaviour that was occurring with voice of what someone said or did. Well, that's I think that's good, by the way. I'm, I'm happy with that because that's evidence. makes my life a lot easier. But the nature of behaviour in the last 20 years has not changed. No. And that's what disturbs me as a group of people, that we're still doing this dumb stuff. And there's been firms that I've been in where I've said to all my staff, look, I leave at 9 o'clock before people start to drink. And I'd strongly advise you to do the same thing. And most of the female staff I had would follow me out the door at that time. Why is Rose and Telstra important as a case? Because it talks of of out-of-work conduct. So what's in-work conduct? In-work conduct is a Christmas party that is arranged by work. Therefore, safety applies to it, workers' Mm -hmm. compensation, discrimination, employment, safety, all apply to it. Nina and I go for a drink afterwards and I pay for that drink as the owner. Definitely still work, okay? Not harder on the safety law to get it to a workplace, but in every other type of law, definitely work. But as I'm driving home, when I post a message on Facebook, that's out of work. Yeah, or if you're driving home drunk as well, that's another common one. Yeah. Where they've gone home from the work function and they're like two times over the limit out of work, but then it definitely connects back to the workplace. Yeah. And what we see, and unfortunately I've seen every law firm is, there are Facebook posts that go on describing the behaviour of people that take photographs of people in awkward times and then distribute them. All of that material is out-of-work behaviour. Mm-hmm. And if it breaches any one of those rules, so if I say something awful about Nina in Facebook after I go home, the third limb about the employer-employee responsibilities, how do I come in the next day and be Nina's boss when I've said something? which might go to a group of people who are in my privacy setting, doesn't go to the whole world, can I say only about 3% of people have full privacy settings on their social media. So most people, it does go more broadly. But in my group as fellow employees, I'm in real trouble. Under O'Keefe's case, as long as I can be identified as an employee in that business, I am connected to Rose and Telstra. Mm -hmm. So as long as that is identified... Now, a subsequent case, which name is going to elude me just for the moment, 
But as long as what I say can hurt somebody who is employed and make work unsafe for those people, then once again, that connects to work. So either I'm identified or the nature of my behaviour affects someone who will come to work in relation to me, that comes into that out-of-work behaviour. Now, in workers' compensation land, it's even more complex because what it shows is in the interval cases, if in any way I, as the employer, accept or permit the conduct that occurs during that time when you're not at work. So, again, Nina and I go to the Christmas party. Nina says to me, look, I'm going to take the young staff out to a nightclub. And I go, yeah, okay. The fact that that's at two in the morning, I've permitted it. So mm-hmm. if something bad happens during that period of time, for workers, yeah, well. that's right. Workers' compensation will say that was a work lie. Can you see how simple it is not to bugger this up? Yeah. And that is to be really clear around the rules of what is a work engagement, but to keep reminding people about their obligations, about how they behave to each other, either inside or out of work, and the reputation of the organisation. I think that's a big one because a lot of times people think, oh, I've got the policies in place, people have been trained, so they should know. But if you're not reiterating that behaviour, particularly as you head into Christmas season where people are having work functions and things like that, if you're not giving them the reminders, you're exposing yourself to liability. And remember that people are starting to drop their drop their guard. Yeah, they're, they're so just, keen for holidays. Yeah, like if you're like us, we just want them to happen. You know, like you're there. And so some of the ways of rule compliance that I had in October, I'm starting to feel the pressure just to let go. So what we want you to do is this. The law is absolutely clear about things that what are connected to work, but the law is now increasingly clear about what is not connected mm-hmm. to work and which you're liable for. And that's why I gave you Hunt's case. Does it affect the reputation of the organisation? Does it affect your relationship with the employer? Does it affect your inter- inter-employee relationship? Does any of those things, that out-of-work conduct, person can be disciplined for it. So please go back to people. And, you know, Jurassic, I think that's the name yep. of the case, tells you quite clearly in the investigative process we're allowed to look at people's Facebook sites, we're allowed to do those things no matter what the privacy settings. I used to have back in the old days when mobile phones first came out, do not drink and text. (laughs) My view is now do not drink and message. The moment you've had a drink, put your mobile phone down and say, I'm not sending any message about any person, I'm not taking any photograph, I'm just going to enjoy the occasion. Yeah, good advice. Okay, let's go on now to our... Case study. Complex case study today, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Ian was tired of it. Gerald, his ICT manager, was driving him mad. Ian was the CEO for Implant. Implant was a digital business that invested in futures of farm cropping around the world. Five years ago, it was a clever startup with a cunning plan, but the developers took the mechanical view of weather in farming commodities used at the startup and created a meteorological, <laughs> geographical and market algorithm that allowed a successful method of buying farming crop futures based on crop scarcity and market prices in the following year. I just want to make it clear that your repeated behaviour of this is clearly bullying and all these people are with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> Ian Plant now employed over 500 people. The heart of the business was the ICT department under Gerald. It was not the designer part of IT, just the infrastructure, and it was the infrastructure that supported the hundreds of thousands of clients who invested. For three months, Ian had heard rumours of Gerald's philandering with young women in his team. Then on 17th of October, Janelle, HR partner for ICT, visited Ian in his office and told him the story of Gerald's seduction of his new PA, Kinsell. 
Ian asked Janelle if Kinzel was safe and happy. Janelle said she was, but didn't know that Ian had a wife, several kids, and sees several other women in his team and others outside of his team. How does he have the time? When she does, it will blow up. Digital world. God. Three (laughs) days later, Janelle rang Ian and said it had turned to crap. Kinzel found out about the other women, is deeply hurt, and wants to move away from Gerald. Janelle said that she had an opening for a pair to join Jen, who worked in corporate advisory, and Kinsel will fill in for a while until the dust settles. Janelle said the problem is that Gerald can't accept that it is over and keeps messaging Kinsel, asking to talk and heal it. She says that Gerald says in the text that he wants her and no one else. In arranges a meeting with Gerald, he explains the relationship breached the rule around disclosure of relationships for key personnel. In is registered as a key personnel. His messages after the breakup constitute unwelcome communication amounting to sexual harassment, and he wants an undertaking that it will stop. Gerald says nothing. Shortly after the meeting, Gerald sends a message to Kinsel saying, how could you put me in with the bosses? You know I love you and would do anything. Why are you trying to hurt me? Janelle forwarded the message to Ian with a comment, I really need your help. Ian received the message from Janelle when he was having executive drinks at the club of United Business in Collins Street. That's Burris's new private club. Oh. Yeah. He had some, possibly too much, aged McCallan single malt. It's 9pm and he was dog tired. He was totally sick and tired of Gerald. He sent 15 messages over the next hour and a half, including the following GIF. Thank you. If you don't get it, consent, if you don't get it, you don't get it. At 10.45pm, Gerald messaged back, stop this badge of abuse. You know nothing about what is happening. I really don't feel safe. Ian responded 10 minutes later, imagine how she feels. Have you spoken to your wife or should I? Gerald sent the thread of messages to Kinsel and text. See what you started. Wow, this is a lot of moving parts. Yeah, look, I, I wanted to do this, and part of the reason I wanted to do it, I'm going to do this reasonably quickly because it's a long program today, is this is pretty much the sort of stuff we see in January, okay, where it just goes crazy. So what I want you to think about is, well, what are the actions? What can Kinsel say? Well, Kinsel can say, look, Gerald is effectively my boss and his behaviour is unquestionably sexual harassment and it makes me unsafe at work. So you've got safety issues, you've got sexual harassment issues, you've got sexual discrimination issues as an organisation that knows it and permits it. Kinzel's got a great cause of action that's worth a lot of money. Yeah, it doesn't matter that she was in a consensual relationship before. Like the moment the business knows that she no longer consents and the moment that Gerald knows she knows consents, it becomes sexual Yeah, and by the way, love contracts are things that you can form for executives which require you disclose relationships in for key personnel. So the issues of conflict can be, particularly conflicts in sales and areas, can be managed. What about Ian? Well, Ian is the big boss. Ian's comments that he made towards Gerald are constructive dismissal under Amy. They are the types of things which show you're not welcome, you're not trusted, and I'm going to deal with you. So there's an argument around that. Unquestionably, there's huge workers' comp risk that sits around the way Gerald was managed. And there are safety risks because he hasn't actually addressed the problem. (laughs) And he's caused further psychological hazards. Gerald's Gerald's in deep trouble. In every, every way you can imagine, Gerald's in trouble. He's in trouble under safety under Section 25. He's in trouble under discrimination law. He's in trouble victimisation, which mm. means special damages running at him and aggravated damages. It's a claim. And he's engaged in sexual harassment. And so he's a, yeah. definitely bridge fair work. Yeah. And Implant is in trouble for all of them. Mm. And I just want you to understand we put Implant at the back because everything that a person does inside the organisation, unless you can show competence-based training and understanding, goes directly to the liability of the organisation. Yeah, so if Kinzel is so distressed by this, she'll lose her life, 
workplace manslaughter is running at Ian. He's an officer. Mm. It's running at the organisation because of Ian. But whatever happens, this is all reckless. Oh, yeah. It will definitely meet reckless yeah. So whether Kinsale dies or not, any serious injury that happened to her as a result of what had occurred, reckless endangerment under safety law would be there. But I just want to say the risk here of Kinsale can't work again. Uh, special damages in relation of lost earnings. Oh, uh, huge. Yeah, but we've got, you know, general damages of one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand. Mm. This is a massive claim, and this is a PA. Yeah. Imagine if this person was a member of the executive. And I think what will shock a lot of people is they'll say, "Well, Ian was trying to help by doing that, but by doing not enough, he's probably worse in the situation." Uh, uh, than that's him. exactly right. And what Nina and I do whenever we get these claims is we download all emails and all phone traffic. And what we see is what we just told you about. Okay. Yeah. So I don't want you to think this is something novel and made up. This is it's pretty what, common. It's pretty pretty common. Now look, it is Christmas coming, so we're going to stop on time. Great to catch <laughs> up again, Nina. Thanks very Give much. And thumbs, thumbs up. up. See you Thanks. later, guys. Bye bye.